Romans chapter 5. We're actually going to finish our section this morning. We've been in verses 1 through 11 forever, at least six weeks now, five, six weeks. So if you don't have a Bible, would you grab one of those blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you and you can flip that particular Bible to page 942. That'll bring you to this section we're looking at. Okay. In this section of Romans, and I've said this a few times before as we've looked at this text, we, we have seen some of the amazing benefits or blessings, benefits or blessings of being justified by faith in Christ. And it's knowing about these blessings that makes it possible for us who are trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, it makes it possible for us to have assurance that we will be saved or delivered from the wrath of God that is to come. Or to say it another way, as Christians, having been saved in the past, when was that? When we placed our faith in Christ. Having been justified at that moment in time, when we understood our need for salvation and embrace Christ as our means of salvation. And based on the benefits that we learn from God's word that belong to those who are justified, justified by faith in Christ, we can know for certain that we will also be saved in the future. See, some, there's, there's tenses for our salvation. There's a past tense, a present tense, which we're going to get to in Romans, and a future tense. What does that mean? Well, at some point in my life, I was saved in the past when I placed faith in Christ. Okay? God then continues to do a work on me in the present. He is saving me. He is transforming me. He is bringing me into or to a place where I look more like Jesus Christ. He's doing the sanctifying work in me. And there is a future tense to our salvation. There is a day coming when God's wrath is going to be poured out on this world, on people. And we are saved from that as well. And that's really what Paul is addressing. God is not going to condemn us at the judgment. That's what we can know for certain because of our justification and the blessings that come to us through being justified by faith in Christ. He will not condemn us, even though that is what we deserve. And beloved, thanks be to God, right? Thanks be to God for his mercy. Thanks be to God for his wisdom that he has devised a way for him to remain just and righteous in all his ways concerning us sinners and at the same time for us as sinners to entirely escape his holy wrath and just judgment against our sin. And not only that, not only that, but also he has devised a way for us to be made and kept right with him forever so that we might permanently dwell with him 
in his holy and righteous kingdom that he is preparing for his people. Beloved, it, if you can't find something to give thanks for on any given day, okay? And I've had those days. You ever had a day like that where you feel like there is just nothing today that I, I can find to give thanks for? I've had them where that's where it feels like, but that's never true. So whenever you're feeling like that, let me give you something that you can always give thanks for. Give thanks to God for his awesome and amazing salvation. If you've personally experienced it, you can give thanks to him for that. Beloved, if you haven't personally experienced it, you can give thanks to him for it and then receive it by faith. By faith. It is a salvation, beloved, that is based solely, solely on the sacrificial and substitutionary death of God's divine Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and we receive that salvation by faith alone. Let's look at the text, okay? Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, because that is the case, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Just a beautiful, beautiful section of God's Word. And uh, in your outlines or bulletins, you'll find this outline. Today, we're going to actually conclude this study that we started some time ago as we're considering six assertions, six statements of fact concerning justification by faith, as we look at these blessings or benefits that belong to all those who are justified, that are are connected to being justified by faith in Christ, and we're doing that so that we who have put our faith in Christ might be fully, completely assured of our salvation. Not just the idea that we're saved now, the idea that our salvation is Full and final, it will be. We can rest assured that what God has started, he will finish. He will bring it to completion. He will not let us go. He will not condemn us to hell. Ever. Ever. That's the idea. 
That's the idea. And, then, and the church, well, people have, over the years, they have talked about this and battled about this, and some have suggested that you can lose your salvation, that God begins, but then you bail out. And so there is no, no one can have insurance. No one knows for sure if they'll actually be saved from the final wrath of God. Or there was even this idea that, okay, you put your faith in Christ, you get saved. God forgives you of all those sins, all the past ones. But now going forward, if you continue to sin against him, who knows? Maybe you'll have to pay for those someday. Beloved, Paul's point is, no, that's not the case. Justified now, here's your blessings, and every single one of these blessings points to the fact and reality that you can rest assured that you will never come under the wrath of God. Never. Okay? So, we looked at six points, or four points so far. We looked at we have peace with God. We've done this in previous weeks. We are standing in grace. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Last week we looked at we have God's love in our hearts. I don't think, I don't think I'm going to review these just for sake of time. I did want to just review something. You know, last week I was talking about we have God's love in our hearts. Remember, we have God's love in our hearts. It's been poured out into our hearts through who? Through, what's the text say? Look back at your text. Do you remember if you were here last week? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer, right? Every Christian has been born again, born from above. That Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God's Spirit, dwells inside of us, and one of His glorious ministries is to pour out into our hearts God's love for us, God's love for us, so that we know Listen, if I know God's love, I don't just know it objectively. I just don't know about it because the scriptures tell me that he loves me. I just don't know it simply because Christ died for me. I know it that way, and that's a beautiful way to know it, but I also know it internally, subjectively. I know it. I've experienced it because the Spirit of God has made me know his love, God's love for me, okay? And remember, we, we said, okay, so that's beautiful. That's wonderful. If I've got God's love, if I know that love, then certainly I would know I'm never going to experience his wrath. I'm being overflowed with his love. But then we talked about the character of that love, the nature of that love. What kind of love is this? Is it a, is it a temporary love? Is it a love that was extended to me because I was in some way lovable? Or because I loved God? And we found out that's not the case at all. He loved us when we were yet Sinners, helpless, weak, ungodly, impotent, unrighteous, unnoble sinners. He loved us at our very worst. So when you experience that love, no, it's that kind of love that's dwelling inside of you, that's being poured out into your hearts. It's the kind of love that says, I love you and I loved you at your worst, sinner. So how could you possibly do anything to mess that up? It wasn't based on you. It's based on me, my choice, my decision to love you. You see? You see, it's like, um, it's like you know how people, when they date or court or ever, however you want to refer to it, they lie. <laughs> they lie about, in many ways, 
about who they are. They deceive. Okay, I, I, you don't understand what I'm talking about. They are careful not to expose all that they really are, you know, in their worst moments. And then you get married. Right? And if you've been married a while, you will know. You will, you, you will know your spouse. Because they say, I don't have to hide it anymore, right? Or they just stop trying. You know, it's just like, I, I can't do this anymore. You will know them at their worst. God didn't, didn't set his love on us because he didn't know how bad we were. He knew us at our worst. He already knew. We couldn't deceive him. He knows us. He knows our messed up hearts. He knows our rebellion. He knew it all. And yet he loved us. And that's the love that he has poured out in our hearts. Amazing. I just wanted to come back to that because I still can't get over that point. I don't want to get over it. Five, six, we're going to look at this morning. We are guaranteed deliverance from God's wrath. This is kind of, all of them are kind of, they kind of build on one another. And all of them are kind of saying that same thing. But this, this is really solidified in these, these verses here, 9 and 10. We are guaranteed, guaranteed deliverance to be rescued from God's wrath. We're going to look at that. And the last one's very simple, very quick. We rejoice in God. We rejoice in God. Okay, let's read verses 9 and 10 again. Let your eyes drop back down to the Word of God, your copy of God's Word that's in your lap, I trust. And here, verse 9, Paul says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. His life couple of writers, I just want to give you some, some of their quotes. Bible commentators, one said this. The parallel arguments, okay, there's two arguments. They're, they're on the same track. That's the idea of verses 9 and 10. There's an argument in verse 9. There's an argument in verse 10. Uh, an argument, not that he's arguing with someone, but he's, he's arguing his position, okay? Both of those Arguments reveal Paul's concern to show the unbreakable connection between the Christian's present status. What is their present status? What is true of the Christian? They are justified now. They are reconciled now. And his fate in the judgment, saved from wrath. There is a a connection that cannot be broken. That's the point he's going to make. If you're justified, if you're reconciled, and you are, if you've placed your faith in Christ, then it is absolutely going to be the case that you will be saved from the wrath of God. And that's what we're going to look at. We, have a guarantee, we are guaranteed deliverance from God's wrath. Here's another quote. The argument of these two verses is, I suggest the most powerful argument with respect to assurance of salvation, or, as we've been talking about, the finality of our salvation. It's the idea that when we get to the end, we're not going to be let down. God's not going to say, oops, sorry, you were too bad for me after all. You're out. It's the finality of our salvation. He's going to complete this. He's going to bring us to himself. And the writer says, this is the most powerful argument with the assurance of our salvation or the finality of our salvation that can be found anywhere in the whole of Scripture. You understand what he's saying? These are a couple of the two most powerful verses concerning this matter, the finality of our salvation. So, fifth point, 
Let's look at it now. We are guaranteed deliverance from God's wrath. Guaranteed deliverance from God's wrath. How do we get that point from verses 9 and 10? How do we derive this point? Well, let me start by pointing something out to you that you need to see here, because you might miss it. It's something about the way that Paul reasons and argues in both of these verses to make the same important point. It's the way he does it. Now look back. Do you see the words in verses 9 and then repeated again in verse 10? Do you see the words much more? Some of you? Do you see it? I want you to see it. Much more. Do you see it in verse 9 and verse 10? Okay. Here's what Paul is doing with the use of this, this phrase. He is reasoning that if such and such is the case or true, if such or such is the case or true, like the fact that we have been justified by the blood of Christ, then much more, much more is the other thing the case or true, like the fact that we will be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, I'm going to explain this. To say it another way, based on this, all right, and he lays that out in the beginning, then this should be obvious. This follows by necessity. If this is true, this absolutely, it goes without saying, this has to be true. Do you understand? Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, let me add this. Bible scholars would also say, concerning this argument, that Paul is arguing here, making his reason here, from the, from the greater to the lesser, or from the major premise to the minor premise. So, listen, the idea is, if the greater is true, if the greater thing is true, then the lesser thing must be true. Let me give you an example of that. I might say, concerning a particular jar in my house, I might say to you that my wife cannot open it. Okay? That's my premise. That's my proposition. My wife cannot open this jar. But to make it more certain, this assertion that I'm saying, to make you know for sure that that is the case, I would say... I cannot open that jar, much more Allie cannot open that jar. Does that make sense to you? If Jeremy can open it, one person, excellent. You explain it to everyone else. If one, if Jeremy can't open it, then it necessarily follows, I'm not bragging here or anything, my... Generally, I know there's women and they could open jars I can't open. I get that. I'm just saying in my house, that's not the case. My wife strong woman, but for whatever reason, has a hard time opening jars, okay? So they come to me. And so because we know that in my household, they know, listen, if, if I said I can't open the jar, then it goes without saying that Allie can't open the jar. Does that make sense to you? Good. Excellent. This is the line of reasoning that Paul is using, okay? That's important for you to understand, as we'll see the point. He makes here. It's so beautiful. Now watch what Paul does. Look at verse 9, and again, both verses, as I've said, use this logic or reasoning and similar phrasing, and they're both shooting for the same point, which is the fact that we who are saved, we who are now justified and reconciled, can rest assured that we will never, never, ever experience the wrath of God, beloved. Ever. It's coming. 
But if you're truly a Christian, if you're a genuine Christian, you should have no fear. No fear concerning this matter. Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him, Christ, from the wrath of God. Paul says, since we have now been justified by His blood. Let's stop there. Let's stop there. What does that mean? What does that mean? I know I've gone over this before, but it is very important that there exists no confusion in your mind concerning what Paul is saying here. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to hear the same thing more than once. Okay? Often many times to get it. That's how I learn. I need to hear it again and again, maybe in a different way. And Paul does that. He's an He's awesome at that, at communicating the same great truth, slightly different way. Since we have now been justified, okay? Since being justified is our present reality, that's what Paul's saying. That's our present reality. That's true of us right now. We are justified people. And what does justified mean? What does that mean? All right, let me just give you some ways I've tried to explain that in the past. Since we have now been made right with God, since we are now right with God or justified, since we who are sinners, ungodly, and unrighteous have now been given a righteous status before God. You get that? The unrighteous has been given a righteous status before God. Not because they're righteous, but because they have been credited with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, they have a righteous status before God, justified. These are all ways to understand that. Since we have now been forgiven of all of our sins, all of them, and credited with the righteousness of Christ. So sins taken away, righteousness given to our account. Because of that, we are justified. That is what it means to be justified before God. And then there are some very important words you don't want to just breeze over that follow the word justified. Look back at your text. Look back at the word of God. What are those words that follow the word justified? Whoa! What is it? By his blood. Don't miss that, beloved. Don't miss that. Don't. Hey, the Spirit of God decided it was important for those words to be here. Yeah, we're justified, but how? What is the basis of our justification? It is his blood. Whose blood? Christ's blood. Jesus Christ's blood. Paul tells us in Romans 3.25. We looked at this, I don't even know how long ago now, but we looked at this and, and it says there that God, God is the one who put Christ forward. He brought Christ out. He did this. It was his divine plan. This was his idea. He brought Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood. Romans 3.25, to be received by faith. Do you remember that? Some of you maybe remember that? That was a powerful sermon in my humble opinion. <laughs> and we, could, we lost the recording. I know, it's not there. I, I'm probably going to preach that again someday because it was so important. It's important. 
And I've already covered it, but let me summarize it. It means that Christ's death, this propitiation, Christ's death on the cross for sinners is what fully appeased or pacified the wrath or anger of God that he has against sinners. Against sinners. Who are sinners? A special group of people that aren't you? No, beloved. We're all sinners. But Christ has appeased his death on the cross. His blood, his life, his death given up. His life given up in death. On the cross, appease the very wrath of God. Propitiation. It turned God's anger away from the sinner who places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what it does. As their substitute. The one who sees Christ, believes Christ, to be their substitute on the cross, bearing the wrath of God that they absolutely deserve a wrath that Jesus didn't deserve. He was sinless. He was holy. He was righteous. But he willingly, in obedience to his Father, went to the cross, fulfilled the divine plan of God by taking upon his mighty self the very wrath of God, taking upon himself our guilt so that God could be just in punishing it so God could be satisfied as his wrath is poured out his righteous wrath on that sin so that we could be right with God, forgiven, the wrath removed against us. So Paul says, listen, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, Immediately, I mean, you go back to Romans 3.25, that's where he used that word blood. Propitiation in his blood, right? God's wrath has been dealt with people. I've already explained that to you. If you're a Christian, that wrath is gone. Much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. Much more. It goes without saying. See, if you have... If you, being a believer, have now been justified by the blood of Christ, by his propitiatory death on the cross, if Christ's death has turned God's wrath away from you, if that is the case, and that is the case, if you are right with God, then Paul argues it follows by necessity that you will certainly be delivered from the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Romans chapter 2, verse 5. Right? That's what he warns there. We've got some people who are refusing to turn to Christ, put their faith in Christ. You're storing up wrath. That's what you're doing. When it will be revealed in the day of God's righteous judgment. But for the Christian who by faith has appropriated this salvation unto themselves, who has trusted in Christ to be their substitute, he then takes all the wrath for them by faith. And there is none left. There's none left for the Christian. One writer says it this way. It's simple. The full fury of wrath for your sin as a Christian was poured out on Jesus Christ. End of story. That's the greater truth. So the lesser idea then, then what must follow is we will be delivered in the future from that wrath that is to come. How could, you, how could you not understand that? It's the same as me saying, I can't open the jar. Then you already know if I can't open it, 
she can't open it. If Christ is your propitiation, if he has satisfied God's wrath against you, then it goes without saying, of course then, it's impossible for you to bear the future wrath of God. It's impossible. It's already been dealt with on your behalf through Christ. Do you understand? Huge, beloved, huge. But Paul's not done. He comes back at this again to really really drive home the same point once more, but he says it in a slightly different way. Now look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, <coughs> if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Listen, there's a couple of terms, justification and reconciliation. And justification is kind of like, and both of them relate to our relationship with God in this sense. Justification is kind of like a legal declaration, all right? So you're in a courtroom, you are justified, God declares you to be innocent before him, gives you a righteous status. It is a legal declaration, a legal transaction in a sense. Reconciliation now speaks about the reality of now what has happened to your relationship, the relationship between you and God because you have been justified because of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done. There has been reconciliation. Let's look at it. Reconciliation. To be reconciled, maybe you don't even know what that, I I would assume most do, but I always think it's helpful to define terms anyway, means to have friendly relations restored, okay? Reconciled, to have friendly relations restored after they have been broken or ruined. You understand the word? Friendly relations restored after they've been broken or ruined. Or you could say to be brought back together and put on friendly terms with someone after a period of separation and hostility. And in this context, the someone that we are reconciled to is actually God. It's God. I mean, that tells you some things, right? It means that we were not on good terms. If we were on good terms with God, right, then there would be no need to be reconciled. You understand? But we were not on good terms. We were, Paul says, enemies. Enemies. Are you on good terms with enemies? No. No. And Paul also draws our attention in this verse to the fact, as I said, that it was while we were still enemies of God, while hostility and separation still existed between God and us, when our sin and rebellion placed us under his wrath, (laughs) that God in his great love for us willingly and lovingly took the initiative and gave his son to die for us that we might be brought back together with him and made his friends. That's crazy that we might be reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. He did that when we were enemies. He took the initiative. He did it. Then Paul says in the second part of verse 10, after stating this wonderful truth concerning our reconciliation, that it was while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Watch it, here's the logic. Much more, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now, this one's maybe a little more tricky, but it's beautiful. I don't want you to miss it. This is what I believe is being communicated, what I understand Paul to be saying here. Here it is. If a dead Savior, notice the contrast here, 
right? Enemies reconciled. Reconciled by his death, saved by his life. Okay? Watch. If a dead Savior took the very enemies of God, if the death of Jesus Christ could take the very enemies of God and make them his friends, reconcile them, if his death was able to do that, then, if that's the case, and that's the greater truth, then much more, much more can a Savior who is living, living by his life, keep us from the wrath of God in the future, especially now since we have been reconciled to God. Let me say it this way, okay? Because, again, I think it helps to say it a couple different ways. Since Christ, I'll say it slowly, since Christ, through his death, was able to restore friendly relations between us and God while we were his enemies, relations that are now, by the way, entirely absent of any hostility, God's hostility towards us, entirely absent, then it, is, it most naturally follows, and we have every reason to believe and be assured that the resurrected and living Christ can continue to keep us completely good with God, even if and when we still sin against God. And thereby we have a solid guarantee of our complete deliverance from any of God's wrath. If the Savior in his death can reconcile enemies to God, then how much more can the living Savior save us from the wrath of God in the future? Us who have been and are reconciled to God right now. That's the idea. That's the logic. One follows the other. It goes without saying. It supports, it makes it absolutely true what he has just said. Listen, listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, because this might help you a little bit as we consider now these ideas and look at other passages. Listen, Paul says this. I can't wait to get here either because it's another great section of God's word. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's how the Bible refers to Christians, the elect, chosen, predestined before the foundations of the world. God has set his love on them. He's drawn them to himself. He has saved them. Let me ask you a question. Who's going to bring a charge against them? And the idea is like a, a courtroom setting, all right? So I say, oh, this one, he is guilty. Here are the charges that I put against him. But Paul says, who is going to bring a charge against God's people those beloved in God, those kept for Jesus Christ, those who have been called. Who? Verse 30, or then it says, it is God who justifies. Are you kidding me? God has declared them right. So who, tell me who's going to bring a charge against them. Do you understand the power of that? Then he says, who is to condemn? Tell me. Satan? Someone else? The angels? No one. For they have been justified by God. And watch this. 
right? Here's the basis for our justification. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Paul's got to remind you, he's the one who died. I love this. More than that, don't forget this. More than that, who was raised, right? Do we worship a dead Savior? No, because I'd have less confidence in my salvation if my Savior was in the ground. No, we worship a risen, resurrected, glorious, all-powerful Savior, Lord, right? So he says, he's at the right hand of God. He's raised, he's at the right hand of God. He's seated in the place of power. That's what that means. God doesn't have a hand, okay, so with a chair, God has his chair, and Jesus the Son has his chair. That's not the idea. Sitting at the right hand of God means in the place of power and authority. Jesus is the right hand. He's there. That's where he sits. That's his position, and guess what? Who indeed is, look at your text, what's it say? Who indeed is what? What's it say? Say it, come on interceding for us. Listen, this is awesome. So Jesus died to make us right with God. That's what he did. He died to make us right with God, to justify us and reconcile us to God, to rescue us from God's wrath. But he did not remain dead. No, he did not. Rather, he lives. And as our living Savior, he keeps us right with God. He keeps us right with God interceding for us to assure, to assure that we will never face the wrath of God. I, you know, I know, I don't know. I, let me just stop here for a second. I think the church has been so watered down because people have stopped even talking about the wrath of God. They don't even want to discuss that. But we need to discuss it. The Bible discusses it. And until you realize what you've been saved from, you don't really have the appreciation that you need for your salvation to motivate you and drive you to lay down your life for the one who rescued you. Okay? Right? Oh, I'm not that bad. I just need a little help, a little uh, boost from Jesus to get me in, you know, to the kingdom of God. Just a little help. Well, then what's my devotion to that one? I mean, he was, you know, he's my co-pilot. He's my helper. He's much more than that. He's your deliverer. He's your rescuer. You were drowning in the sea of depravity. You were destined. I was destined without Christ for the wrath of God. I deserved it. And because of his great love and mercy, God devised a plan where he could remain just where he could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, who has rescued us from the wrath of come, who has justified us, who has reconciled us, and lives now to intercede for us. Hello. Huh? Huh? People get more excited about football games. I've never understood this. I don't. Because I just don't. I don't know if they'll play football in heaven. I assume they will. (laughs) But this brings us into heaven. It's the only way. The writer of Hebrews adds to our understanding of this interceding ministry. I want to make another comment. I'm running out of time, but here we go. Of our living Savior, Jesus Christ, he, he, he makes another comment concerning this intercession, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. He's talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ as our high priest. 
Okay, so if you don't understand anything about the Old Testament, you've never read it, I don't have time to explain it all now, but okay, a little. The priest, right, for the nation of Israel would come in. He was instructed to make sacrifices for the sins of the people, right? But we know that the blood of goats and bulls will never take away sin. It was a picture. It foreshadowed the one who would be called the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world once and for all, right? So listen to what he says, and he says, Christ Jesus, he's superior to those priests. Let me show you. As the high priest, he's superior. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number. There was a lot of them. Why? Why do we need more than one? Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Do you understand? So the priest had a responsibility, but eventually he would die, right? So you need another priest to take his place, to continue the work of these sacrifices for the people's sins, right? Verse 24, But he, that is Christ, you can go back and read it in the context, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. He holds that office forever. Why? Because Jesus is not dead. He continues forever. He continues forever. He is the resurrected one. Oh, my. Consequently, Verse 25, he is able, because of that, he is able to save to the uttermost, to the very end, those who draw near to God through him. How do we draw near to God? How are we reconciled to God? Through Christ. Since he, listen, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, Do you understand what he's doing? He always lives to make intercession for them. He is always interceding for them. Now, people sometimes get this mixed up. I want to clear it up, okay? I've heard this said. It's not accurate. It's not accurate. That someone sins, a believer. Do you still sin as believers? Occasionally, right? Once in a while? Saturday night, maybe? Okay, no, because you're preparing for Sunday morning on Saturday night. So you don't sin on Saturday night. So we still, we still struggle. We still have this battle. We still fight, right? Because God's still working on us. He's still completing us. We still got all this old programming we got to deal with, right, brother? So we're dealing with that. We still sin. So someone might say, I've heard them say this. So God goes, hey, the father. He goes, hey, they sin. I'm going to punish them. And the son says, hey, dad, don't do that. Remember, I paid for their sin. Okay, that's not right. I'm going to tell you that's not right. Who sent Jesus? The Father. Who loved us that he gave his only son. The Father. Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father, they have the same desire, the same purpose. Jesus is not trying to convince his dad, hey, don't punish them. I know they've been bad, but remember, I died on a cross. He's not doing that. And he doesn't have to, you know, some people say, oh, Satan comes before them and, and says, hey, father, or he wouldn't call him father, hey, oh, mighty one, they sinned again. And then Jesus says, dad, he runs in. This is crazy talk. He, Jesus, this is us putting these ideas on this. Jesus stands as the intercession. He is the inter, he's there. He doesn't, God doesn't have to look over and go, did you pay? Of course he did. He lives to make intercession for them. It's, it's done. It's not an issue anymore. It's not debatable. So that's why Paul says, who is going to bring a charge against God's elect? No one. Because Christ died. Oh, not only did he die, he rose again and he lives. 
to make intercession for us. My goodness, guys. Huh? All right. Three minutes. There's people in the, watching the children. <laughs> and I have angered them so many times. I owe them my life. I'm thankful for them. Six, we'll do it fast. We rejoice in God because it's simple. Here's the, the last benefit that I pulled out of this section concerning our justification. We rejoice in God. It's very simple. Romans 5.11. Paul says more than that. Wow. We also rejoice in God. That's what we do now through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Like I said, the point I drew from here is simple. We rejoice in God, right? Simple, but profound. Listen, we who were enemies of God, that's what we were, living under his wrath. That's, that was our reality. That's your reality if you haven't placed your faith in Christ. That was our reality for us who, before we placed our faith in Christ, us living under his wrath, fearful of his judgment and condemnation, unable to truly glory in God, separated from God and hostile to him, have now, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, are now able to truly rejoice in God, rejoice in him. To have a relationship with him that brings us great joy and happiness. Beloved, no longer as justified people do we run from God. We don't need to, but we run to him. (laughs) We don't run from him, we run to him. Rejoicing in him. Do you understand? It's like my grandson. One of the greatest joys of my life is when I'm separated from him for a little while and he sees me and I see him. He runs to me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, You'll know. Your children maybe do this, but it's something special about that grandchild. I don't know. He runs to me. He's got that look in his face. He's not afraid of grandpa because I don't ever punish him. (laughs) I I don't discipline him. That's for his dad to do. I, I love that boy, right? That's what he knows from, from Papa. Love, man. He comes to me. He's not afraid. He's rejoicing in his Papa. Yeah. We now rejoice in God. We rejoice in God. Beloved, <laughs> if we're rejoicing in God, if that's our reality, and it is, then why in the world do you ever think you would experience the wrath of God? Everything's been changed. You don't have that kind of relationship any longer. Justified, reconciled through Christ. Restored, friends of God. They don't have the fear of wrath. All right. Just trying to figure out a way how to end this, you know. Here's what I want to say to you. For us to be faithful as a church... We have to tell people about Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We have to share the good news. We have to spread the gospel, right? Let me give you a motivating factor for that, okay? If they haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ, if they haven't trusted in Him, if they haven't repented, 
turned from all their nonsense and said, Lord Jesus, I know now, I know the truth. I know I am a sinner condemned to hell. I deserve the very wrath of God, but I know what you did for me. I know what God did in sending you. I know and I believe and I trust and I'm giving myself to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Huh? If they haven't done that yet. You know people like that, right? You know people like that. Friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, you know them, right? Then let me tell you what's true for them. Let me tell you, let this motivate your heart. They don't have peace with God. Remember we talked about that? It's not, they may think they do. They may say, hey, I'm good with God. No, no, God's not good with you. He can't be. He can't be. You have not received this justification yet by faith. You have not put your trust in Jesus Christ. Therefore, you abide under the wrath of God. You have no peace with him. You are an enemy currently of God. You stand still in that status. Huh? They are not standing in grace. They are not standing in grace. They don't know this saving grace of God. They don't know it. They're not living in it. They're not secured by it. They have no security. They may feel secure, but what you need to do through prayer and the preaching of the word and trusting in God is shake them loose. Huh? Shake them loose from that false security because that's what it is. You're not standing in grace. You're standing in quicksand. You're doomed. Huh? Tell people the truth in love. They can't rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. They have no hope. They're not looking to share in the very glory of God. They will share with others in the wrath of God. This is terrible, guys. They don't have God's love in their hearts. I know people say weird stuff. I got God's love in my heart. What, what, what are you talking about? You know... No, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. And the God that they've defined is not the God of the Bible. They're not talking about the Holy Spirit who comes into those who are born again, who pours it out, sheds it abroad in their hearts. They're not talking about that. They're talking about some pseudo-love. They've made it up in their own mind. No, I feel very secure and safe in myself. I need to tell you that is not good. Your feelings are wrong. They don't align with reality. They're not guaranteed deliverance from God's wrath. They're guaranteed to experience God's wrath. Come on, here, right? That's the condition of those who have not called on Christ as their Savior. That's your condition, beloved, if you haven't done that. I don't, I don't say that in a way like that's a con- condemnation. I'm warning. I'm crying out. Christ says, come unto me, all you are labor and weary. I will give you, I will give you rest. He will give you rest for your souls. He will deliver you. He will save you. Just come unto him by faith. Would you trust in him? You don't have to walk up here or do some magic potion thing. Right where you sit right now, in your mind, in your heart, call out to him in saving faith. And he will save you. And then all these things will be true. And then you can and will truly rejoice in God. No longer will you fear him. No longer will you need to think of him as some condemning ogre. 
you'll begin to rejoice in this God. You'll begin to celebrate this God. And he'll begin to change your life. Join me as I pray for those who don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father in heaven, we are, as a Christian, as I look over these things, as I read Romans 1 through 11, I am, wow, I am so thankful. I am so blessed. I can't even believe it. All these things are true, true of me and true of those that are here who are trusting in Christ alone, alone. Not trusting in themselves, not trusting in someone else, they're not trusting in a mix of things. They haven't made their own religion, but they've committed themselves to the religion, the one true one. Jesus Christ. But Father, there are many. I know some here, certainly, and, and even outside of here, many, many. Lord, people that we are close to. <laughs> Lord, help us be bold witnesses in the year 2014. Help us make a real difference in 2014. Help us, Lord, to speak the truth. Not to, not to zip it, but in wisdom, in love, in power. May we take your word. May we show them what it says. May we pray continually pleading for their salvation, Father. And may you be pleased to draw more unto yourself, to save them to the uttermost, to grant them the gift of faith and repentance that they might see, that they might hear, that they might respond in repentance and faith, and be saved. Saved then, saved in the future. Father, please, we plead. May you be glorified in your salvific work that we trust in you to do. And may we be your instruments in your hands as you use us to bring that saving word, that saving gospel, that saving message to sinners who are on their way to hell but can be saved by Christ if they will just believe, trust, follow, put their faith in Him. In Jesus' name, amen.